This is According to Jim with Jim Joyner and Steve Sell, McPherson's sports talk show. This is my house. This is my house. I'm taking over, okay? Stephen A. and the crew. Listen Monday through Friday from 1230 to 1 p.m. on 96.7 FM KBBE or online at midkansasonline.com. Touchdown! It's a Sammy Watkins Palooza touchdown! Kansas City! According to Jim is your home for the McPherson Bullpups. Touchdown Bullpups! No flags on the play! It is 99 yards right up the seam! The big play threat from a season ago does it again! Everything happening in the sports world. Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. And even some things not happening in the sports world. I tell you, I thought this morning I wasn't going to make it to this <laughs> afternoon. I, I haven't had many mornings like that in a long time. Now it's time for According to Jim. Here's Jim Joyner and Steve Sell. Let's do this thing. Another edition of According to Jim right here on 96.7 FM KBBE. Or for those of you listening online, worldwide at midkansasonline.com. I'm Jim Joyner. Joining me as always, the most popular man in the entire city of McPherson, Mr. Steve Sell. Steve, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Steve, fun night last night of sports. Really was, yeah. You got World Series Game 1, the Nationals taking the early lead. Boy, I don't think anybody saw saw it coming that both pitchers, starting pitchers, would struggle. Uh, Max Scherzer had, what, 111 pitches through five innings and left with a 5-2 lead. Garrett Cole hadn't lost in, like, his last 16 or 18 decisions, something like that, and he gets knocked around. He's gone. Uh, They hit him for five runs. 5-4 game. Uh, Washington did what they had to do if they have a chance in this series. They had to win one or two in Houston. Now, if they win tonight, they are firmly in the driver's seat, and a lot of people will be surprised because, let's face it, I think the the emphasis around the country was that Houston was going to win the series pretty handily, like six games. You said seven. I said seven. But I think Houston is probably – I'd say 70% of the country probably picked Houston to win. The other fun things happening last night – we had the NBA beginning, never the Raptors. Never-ending basketball association. The Raptors and the Pelicans go to that was overtime. a good game. How many points did Fred Van Vliet score? Like 35, career Ooh. high. Yeah. And then the Lakers and the Clippers, Battle of L.A., Staples Center was rocking. A fun night of basketball. My guy LeBron, who well, had only, not a great second half. I only made it like the first quarter, and uh, the Lakers actually looked pretty good early. They were dominating early, and then I, you know, I, I was interested to see when I got up this morning how that – Game turned out, I guess Kawhi really turned it on, and LeBron's catching a lot of heat already. One game into the season, one game, you know, they play clear up until June, and already LeBron's catching heat. Very unnecessary. One game does not make a season. I've made a pact with myself, Steve, that I'm going to watch more NBA basketball this year than I ever have before, and I'm going to stay up late. I'm going to watch all these games. So Why? I, I want to watch the NBA more. It's been a very interesting league, and it's going to be a, a very fun year in the Western Conference and trying to figure out who's going to win the NBA championship well, this year. Well, I will say the NBA race is wide open. You asked me yesterday who I thought, and I still said, you know, to me, Golden State's been the best team the last four years. I know they don't have Durant. I know they don't have Thompson, but they have the winning culture. They've got a system. I think you can just plug guys in, and, uh, you know, they'll just keep it rolling. They won't win near as many games as they have because there's so much balance. But until somebody proves that, you know, if, if Golden State comes out and st- starts 9-2 and two 
or 10 and 2, something like that this year, they're still my pick. Steve, we've got a couple other things I want to address today. Get a little update on McPherson Ice Sports from yesterday and preview what's coming up for the rest of the week. But today we have a very special interview. Right. We have Andrew Marinus, who is the author of Games of Deception, a book that talks about the 1936 Olympics over in Germany and the basketball team, the U.S. team that ended up winning the gold medal and talking about, of course, the Globe Refiners from here in McPherson. A very interesting interview. His his publisher reached out to me and they said, hey, we've got this great book that's coming out. And of course, it's relative to your area. And I think people are going to enjoy this conversation. Well, you know, the Globe Finders, even though they played in 1936, people in town still know who they are. Uh, you know, there's a lot of memorabilia and stuff over at the uh, community building. It's kind of the home of the Globe Refiners. And, you know, people, a lot of people still, you know, that's what started the basketball craze in McPherson was the McPherson Globe Refiners. And then you had, like, the, the American Legion team uh, in, the, in the very late 40s that was, like, an AAU champion. So, you know, basketball has been big in McPherson since 1936. Well, we've got a long interview here, so let's just go ahead and get into this. We'll be back after this. You're listening to According to Jim, 96.7 FM, KBBE. You're listening to the According to Jim podcast with Jim Joyner and Steve Self. According to Jim is brought to you by Great Plains Federal Credit Union, The Fieldhouse Grill and Taps, Brown Shoe Fit in downtown McPherson, Next Tech Wireless, and Farmers State Bank with branch locations in McPherson, Lindsborg, and Galva. You can also listen live Monday through Friday from 12.30 to 1 p.m. on 96.7 FM KBBE or online at midkansasonline.com. Joining us on today's show is Andrew Marinus, who is the author of Games of Deception, which is a book about the history of basketball leading up to its remarkable Olympic debut at the 1936 Summer Games in Hitler's Germany. And of course, we have the McPherson Globe Refiners with that connection here, and they were a part of that 1936 gold medal team. Andrew, what made you want to research this topic and eventually write this book? Well, it actually goes back to uh, Kansas. You know, I live in, in Nashville now, but I was in Lawrence, Kansas, um, a couple years ago to speak about my first book, which was called Strong Inside, and it was the biography of Perry Wallace, who was the first African-American basketball player in the SEC. And while I was in Lawrence, uh, Kansas, to talk about that book, I toured Allen Fieldhouse for the first time, and I saw, of course, the original rules of basketball that they have under glass there, and a photograph of James Naismith with a Japanese basketball player. And the guy that was giving me a tour of the DeBruce Center there at KU said, did you know that Naismith, the inventor of basketball, got to see his invention make its Olympic debut? And I had no idea. And I really didn't know that basketball got started at the Nazi Olympics. Um, but once I learned that, I thought that's a fascinating story that I don't think too many people are aware of. And what I've done with my first book is turn it into a book for young adults. So I, I travel around the country speaking at high schools and middle schools about the integration of SEC basketball. Um, and so I was looking for another story that involves sports but also bigger social issues. And I just thought that, you know, combining the Olympics and, and the Nazis and the invention of this game that we all love would make a fascinating story. And um, so I just loved doing the research. And as you mentioned, the book comes out November 5th. And um, I'll be in McPherson the very next week uh, to talk about it a couple of times and, and can't wait to get out there. 
Well, Andrew, I think a lot of people in McPherson at least have a general comprehension of the Globe Refiners. They know that they were from here and that it was part of AAU basketball, but I think there would be some people that would be confused about how the process went and how they selected these teams, how they became a part of it, and the fact that it was the Globe Refiners from McPherson and then another team that was a part of the gold medal group. Can you help me there with, with trying to explain that a little bit better and how that process went and how they became a part of the Olympic national team? Absolutely. So now we think about you know, individual players, NBA stars, um, trying out as individuals uh, for the Olympics. Or you know, when I was a kid, college players individually trying out for the Olympics. Um, back then, they played a tournament that in some ways was a precursor to the NCAA tournament, although it wasn't just college teams. Um, it was open to any amateur team in the country. So that was college teams, also AAU teams, as you mentioned, which were very different than what we think of as the AAU now. It wasn't high school phenoms. It was guys that had already played college ball, and there was no NBA. And so what you had then were companies that would sponsor teams, uh, with um, Globe Oil and McPherson being one of them. Um, guys were considered amateurs because they were paid to work at the company not to play basketball, although in a lot of cases the reason they were there was to play basketball. Um, so this tournament involved colleges, AAU teams, even uh, YMCA teams were still considered good teams at that point. So there was a national tournament played, and the idea was that whichever two teams advanced to the championship game of the Olympic qualifying tournament would be combined to become the U.S. Olympic team in 1936, which was the first year that basketball was in the Olympics. And so the Globe team advanced to the championship of that tournament at Madison Square Garden, and their opponent in the championship game was Universal Pictures from Hollywood. And so you had these guys that were hired to work at the studio on movies like Frankenstein, um, basically because they were 6'5 and could play basketball. And so those were the two best amateur teams in the country, and they um, sailed to Germany to represent the U.S. as the first dream team. One thing about the uh, refiners, um, they had a lot of size. And in those days, you know, 6'2 was considered pretty tall, but the Globe refiners uh, had 6'8", 6'9". Talk about that. Yeah, they had a guy um, named Joe Fortenberry who was 6'8", um, who is considered the first player to dunk the basketball. Um, and I don't know that that can be exactly proven, but he he was the first player ever to dunk the ball at Madison Square Garden, which in those days probably counted as the world, right? <laughs> that was where the uh, the mecca of, of basketball in the 1930s, and he dunked it. The New York Times uh, reporter wrote an article about how he dropped the basket or the ball into the basket like a customer dunking his, his roll into coffee. Um, they had Willard Schmidt, who was also six foot nine, um, another player that was six eight, six nine that didn't go to Berlin so that he could uh, not lose his job at the refinery. The players were told when they qualified for the Olympics if they took you know three weeks off to travel to Germany, there was no guarantee their jobs would be left for them. Um, but you're right, they were they were taller uh, than just about any team. They build themselves as the tallest team in the country. Their coach. Uh, Gene Johnson was a real um, expert promoter, and so he made a big deal of the fact that they were a tall team. Also, they were a fast team, and they were one of the uh, the first teams to employ a full-court press, and there were coaches in college basketball for decades later that, that modeled their press after um, the one that Gene Johnson developed uh, in McPherson. 
We're talking with Andrew Marinus today, the author of Games of Deception. It's telling the history of basketball leading up to the Olympic debut in 1936 and, of course, the McPherson Globe Refiners that were a part of that team. So I obviously know and what mostly stands out about the 1936 Olympics being in Germany was the Jesse Owens story in terms of him running track and Hitler being there and all of that that was going on throughout that time. But I also have read before that there were some potentials for boycotting on the basketball side and, and some of the other Olympic sports that were going on. Was was the basketball team involved in that as much at that Olympics? Uh, that's a really good question. So in the Olympic qualifying tournament, there was one team that um, boycotted the whole idea of the tournament. They said, you know, if, even if we were to win, we're not going to go to Hitler's Germany to participate. And so that was a team from Long Island University uh, that refused to even try out and they were the best team in college basketball at the time, so it was a, a big deal that they didn't participate. There was a pretty sizable boycott um, movement in the United States. I think there was a Gallup poll a couple years before the Olympics that showed over 40% of Americans um, supported a boycott of the Nazi Olympics. Um, there was one Jewish player on the U.S. team. He wasn't from McPherson. He was from the universal side of the team named Sam Balter. And when Universal advanced to the um, championship at Madison Square Garden, he had a real decision to make whether he would go to Berlin or not. And he had people advising him both ways, and he ended up deciding to go. He felt like the best way that he could stand up to Hitler was to succeed in the tournament and win a gold medal. And that's what he did. He was the only um, Jewish-American athlete to win a gold medal in Berlin. Um, but that's as far as sort of the political involvement of the basketball team went at those Olympics. I, I, if I recall right, I think the United States played Canada in the uh, gold medal game, and it was very unique. How much detail do you go in about the championship game and where it was played and the conditions it was played in? Yeah, it's kind of funny to think about today with you know with the the giant arenas that say the Final Four is played in, or the production at an NCAA or a, uh, NBA championship game. They played the whole um, Olympic basketball tournament outside in Berlin on. Um, clay tennis courts that had been refashioned for basketball and the Germans had promised that the courts would be in good shape and what a thrill it would be to play in the open air um, but on the day of the gold medal game and the bronze medal game it had been raining uh, for about 24 hours leading up to those games and the court turned into a big soupy uh, mess of mud the players couldn't even dribble the ball it would just get stuck in the mud um, it was windy, there was rain and, and mud flying in their faces. And so the players said it was kind of a farce of a game. U.S. beat Canada 19-8, um, to 8, which was very low scoring even by the standards of that time. And uh, that, that began the long U.S. Olympic winning streak that wasn't snapped until the controversial game in 1972 when the Olympics returned to Germany, uh, to Munich. Um, but... Yeah, the players talked about just the ball slipping out of their hands like a bar of soap in the shower. and uh, So it wasn't a great basketball game. Although afterwards, James Naismith said it was the greatest game he'd ever seen. I think he was possibly overcome by the emotion of seeing his invention uh, you know, become a medal sport at the Olympics. But it wasn't a, a pretty game of basketball. Now, was that back in the day where they had a jump ball after every score? And if so, I would think the refiners had it, or I should say, yeah, the, the refiners and the, and the universal team, uh, the U.S. team, had a big advantage given their size. 
That's right, they did, and that, that's true. That, the rule was in effect at the Olympics, although it was starting to change um, in the U.S., but the, according to the international rules, they did that. And so um, the U.S. was much taller than any other team there, and it was a huge advantage for them. Um, Naismith kept a diary while he was in Berlin watching the Olympics, and he was actually really impressed with the team from the Philippines. Um, but they had no height whatsoever. He said if they had matched up to the U.S. in terms of height, that they may have been just as talented, but, but they didn't have anybody that could match up with the forwards and the centers on the U.S. team. Now, to my understanding, Andrew, I've talked to a few people about this, that they rotated games. It's not like they took the Universal team and the McPherson team and put them together and had 12 deep. They rotated games, correct, where the Universal team would play one and then the Globe Refiners team would play one, right? That's, that's exactly right. They did slightly mix up the teams, but you're right. They did not have a roster of, say, 14 guys at each game. It was seven. Um, they, they took a couple guys from McPherson and placed them with the majority of the universal players and vice versa. They called one team the Sure Passers and the other team the Wild Men. The Wild Men were mostly the McPherson players. The sure Passers played a slower game. They were mostly the universal players. And so it was um, kind of a little bit of a controversy or an argument and who would get to play the gold medal game. You know, according to the rotation, the universal players thought that they should get that opportunity since they had actually won the um, U.S. qualifying tournament championship. But according to the rotation at the Olympics, it was the McPherson players' turn. Um, and so they were the ones that actually got to play in that gold medal game. Andrew, do you have any other interesting and, and fun stories from those teams that you know people in McPherson you think would find interesting? Um, <laughs> I think that they would find Gene Johnson himself interesting. Apparently he was sort of a real flamboyant, outspoken, talkative, braggadocio type of coach. I enjoyed writing about him. Uh, another thing is that even after they qualified to go to the Olympics, they come back to McPherson and uh, have to raise their own money to get back to New York City uh, to get on the boat to Germany. And there was a lot of concern that they wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, remember, this is during the Depression. Um, the American Olympic Committee, as they called it at the time, the, what we know as the USOC, didn't pay the players' expenses. And so they literally had to go door-to-door around town in McPherson to raise the money for the train fare back to New York City. And they came through. The whole town did. So I think that that's a proud legacy of, of McPherson to know that the townspeople stepped up to get that team uh, over to Germany. I have one chapter in the book as sort of an aside about a baseball game that was played during those Olympics as well. The Germans were really working hard to make sure that the U.S. did not boycott the Olympics. It would have been a big blow to their prestige. Um, so I think that's one reason why Fog Allen um, was so successful in getting uh, the Nazis to uh, adapt basketball as an Olympic sport. He had tried in 1932 to get the uh, basketball included in the Los Angeles Olympics. But it really, you know, it wasn't until the Germans um, brought it in 36 that we had it. But, and so they also played an exhibition ba- baseball game, knowing that that was uh, America's pastime. And 100,000 Germans showed up for the game, and most of them left after a couple innings. They had no idea what was going on. They were cheering pop-ups to the infielders and thought the ground balls to the outfield were, were not what you wanted. You know, so they, they had no idea. And I enjoyed writing a chapter called 100,000 Bored Germans uh, about baseball. Well, Andrew, tell me a little bit about where we can buy this book. And you mentioned that it comes out November 5th, Games of Deception. Where's the best place for people to find it? And, and tell us a little bit about your trip where you'll be taking here to McPherson at the second week of November. 
Okay, well, thank you. Yes, the book comes out November 5th. Uh, I like to say it's available wherever books are sold. Um, you can find it at uh, on Amazon, of course. You can find it at bookstores. I've been working closely with the Raven Bookstore in Lawrence and Watermark's Bookstore in uh, Wichita um, for my trip that's coming up. Um, I'll be coming to Kansas, driving from Nashville on November 11th, and then on November 12th, I'll speak to the McPherson Rotary, uh, which meets at lunch, and then at the McPherson Museum that evening, which is open uh, to anyone to come. And there'll be a bookstore on site uh, selling the books. Uh, the next day, I'll go to DeSoto, Kansas, and speak at a, a Lexington Trails Middle School there. Um, also, uh, Lawrence High School, and then we'll have an event at the Raven Bookstore in Lawrence that evening. And then on the uh, 14th, I'll speak at Lawrence uh, Middle School in Lawrence, and then at the Kansas City Rotary Club. Um, my book is technically marketed as a young adult book for high school and, and middle school students, um, but I believe that adults will like it just as much as just a little shorter than a lot of adult books, but with the attention span that people have these days, I think it'll, it'll work for grown-ups, uh, no doubt, as well. But can't wait to get out there. If anyone's listening, then... Um, would like me to come to their uh, son or daughter's school or speak at their book club or, or whatever. It's, I love doing that and sharing the story and plan on coming to Kansas quite a bit. I actually have one Kansas connection in my family that I discovered when I was working on this book, too. My great-grandfather, also named Andrew, was from uh, Cocker City, Kansas, and he ran track at KU in the early 1900s where his uh, coach was James Naismith. So it kind of brings this whole story uh, full circle in terms of my family in some ways. I'm just curious, how long have you been an author and how many books have you written on other topics? Yeah, um, my first book came out in 2014. I had spent eight years on it, so I don't know if you count me as being an author since 2014 or from 2006 when I started working, but that was the book on Perry Wallace, um, and it surprisingly became a New York Times bestseller. It won a couple um, civil rights-related book awards. Um, and so that sort of propelled me into thinking this is something I could continue to do. Um, so Games of Deception is my second book. My day job is at the Vanderbilt uh, Athletic Department. And then I'm working on my um, third book, which will come out in a couple years, a biography of Glenn Burke, who was a baseball player for the Dodgers in the A's in the late 70s. Uh, he invented the high five with Dusty Baker, and he was the first uh, openly gay Major League Baseball player. So try to write sports books with a um, little bit more uh, social meaning behind them. Well, Andrew, we appreciate your time today, and we're looking forward. I've got an early copy of the book, so I've, I've been able to go through it a little bit, but I'll be able to dive into that. And, of course, sold wherever books are sold, places like Amazon.com, Games of Deception, coming out on November 5th. Andrew, thanks for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, this is the first interview that I've gotten to do for this book, and I, I think it's pretty appropriate that it was with you guys in McPherson, so thank you. Steve, we enjoyed our conversation with Andrew Marinus about this book, Games of Deception, coming out here in a couple weeks, and a lot of interesting tidbits about this 1936 Globe Refiner team that won the gold medal at the Olympics in Germany. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of the people have been around like me for a long time. You've been around since 36, haven't you? Yeah, I think I have, and... and but the people, you know, the the uh, veteran fans in town, they still very much remember a lot about the Globe Refiners. And a lot of people I know went to that 50-year uh, 
deal that they had back in 86. I would have liked to have seen you working here in 1936 and going to Germany to cover those Olympics. Uh, you, do you I, think you would have taken that trip? I don't think so. I don't think Hitler won any of me, that's for sure. That's true. <laughs> All right, Steve, let's take one more break. You're listening to According to Jim, 96.7 FM, KPBE. You're listening to the According to Jim podcast with Jim Joyner and Steve Self. According to Jim is brought to you by Great Plains Federal Credit Union, The Fieldhouse Grill and Taps, Brown Shoe Fit in downtown McPherson, Next Tech Wireless, and Farmer State Bank with branch locations in McPherson, Lindsborg, and Galva. You can also listen live Monday through Friday from 12.30 to 1 p.m. on 96.7 FM KBBE or online at midkansasonline.com. Wrapping up today's According to Jim, 96.7 FM, KBBE. Steve enjoyed that interview. We'll get it posted up at soundcloud.com slash KBBE sports in case somebody might have come in about halfway through and missed the beginning of it. But enjoyed talking about that. We have a Bullpup football preview Thursday coming up tomorrow, previewing McPherson's final game of the regular season against the Circle T-Birds, trying to start off the year 8-0 and taking on the 1-6 Circle T-Birds. But did you see the big news of the day? I'm not sure. From Kansas City? No. So the Chiefs have not listed Patrick Mahomes as out yeah, for Sunday I, night. Yeah, I've been hearing those rumors. And There's... he will practice today. I, and I, Matt Moore has not been named the starting quarterback for Sunday night. I find that really hard to believe. But uh, um, Matt Moore against the uh, Packers, that would be a mismatch. So, uh, uh, you know, they're holding out hope against Hope. Remember, they just kind of popped his knee back in, so... Um, if I'm that offensive line, though, if he does play, I better be at my best. If I'm an offensive lineman, because we don't want the franchise getting hit. Do you think this could just be a mind game? An Very Andy well Reid, Jedi mind game? It, it really, you know, Big Red, he's, he's a smart guy. And, you know, he could be throwing that out there and the Packers will say, well, if Mahomes plays, we got to be prepared for such. They know if Matt Moore plays, it's going to be like vanilla ice cream. So I thought you were going to say vanilla ice. No, but and the Chiefs did make a, a move. The Anthony Thomas. No, See you later. Yeah, no longer a Chief. You know he was really exciting his first couple years there. He really hasn't done a whole lot. I mean they got Byron Pringle to really you know that could do punt returns. By, Byron Pringle basically has cost the Anthony Thomas a job because Pringle's just a better player. That's right. Well, tomorrow, Bullpup Football Preview Thursday. We have a lot going on this week, Steve, as it is sub-state volleyball time. Final game of the regular season for McPherson Ice Soccer. There is regional cross-country this weekend. Busy, busy day. Yeah. Busy, busy weekend. The fall is winding up for the high schools. I mean, uh, we're going to be done with volleyball and uh, and, uh, uh, soccer, you know, before long. Football goes potentially clear the end of November. So, uh, prep season. Kind of winding down. And then, basketball. It's right around the corner. Well, colleges start this weekend. That's so. right. Wrapping up today's show, for Steve Sell, I'm Jim Joyner. Thanks for listening to According to Jim. We'll talk to you tomorrow. According to Jim with Jim Joyner and Steve Sell was brought to you by Great Plains Federal Credit Union, The Fieldhouse Grill and Taps, Brown Shoe Fit in downtown McPherson, Next Tech Wireless, and Farmer State Bank with branch locations in McPherson, Lindsborg, and Galva. Make sure to listen to According to Jim every weekday from 1230 to 1 p.m. right here on 96.7 FM KBBE.